listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Please send us a text, 2057. Send us an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio. And you especially want to send us a, uh, a text or an email if you've got a question for our next guest, because it's, drumroll, Wally Richards, our gardening guru. Good morning, Wally. Good morning. How I've got to tell you. Going? Yeah, I've got to tell you, Wally, you and I are sitting here, you're in Martin, I'm in Arrowtown, we've just both got our woolly hats on, mm-hmm. um, we're not like the modern generation that turns up all the heaters, we just put woolly hats on and, and uh, dress warm, so that's pretty funny, we're going to be talking about that for the gardening, but I've got to tell you, I got your, I get your weekly emails, which I love, and you've got me growing sprouts. Right. And I've had my first crop, and I are loving it because they're delicious. I mm. put some in a salad, and I put them on omelets. And mostly, though, I just, when I feel a bit peckish or something I want to stick in my mouth, which is every five minutes, I put in a few sprouts. Right. And they're gorgeous. Yeah. Good, and you're looking healthier as a result. <laughs> I am. It must. So what I got was I got that little container for twenty dollars from Bunnings, mm-hmm. and I got like four levels. And I bought the seeds, king sprout seeds, and I sprinkled them on. I got the sort of ones with the radish in it, which are quite hot. I got the ones with were green, and then I poured water in the top several times a day and would drain it. Funnily enough, I didn't get much growth. So I thought, I know what, it's too cold because it's like the highest it gets in my house, I'm afraid, is like 14 degrees because we have been cold. So what I did was I put a bit of boiling water in the bottom tray and they all sprouted except the bottom tray because it was probably too hot. Yeah. But uh, I'm slowly adjusting that. But that's a great trick. Tell us more about growing sprouts, Wally. Right. Okay. Well, it's a simple thing to do. Um, In the old days, we used to put them into an AG jar with a strainer. We'd um, put the seeds in there, put the water in, uh, leave it there for a day, and then we'd tip the water out with the strainer over the top, which is just a wire mesh, a bit like your um, sort of, uh, mm. that you have for the kitchen. And that would let the water go out but keep the seeds in and then we'd put some fresh water in and away we go. Ideally, non-chlorinated water, of course, none of this poison to go into the seeds because plants, when they germinate and grow, they'll take up any chemical that might be present. So if you're going to put in chlorine, chlorinated water, my goodness, you'd take, just taking another poison into your body. So that's a no-no. Okay. Now, these days, the um, modern way to do it is to have that three- or four-tier um, sprouter, which mm. means you've got different levels in which you can sprout in. And as a result of that, um, you get... It's much easier to do because it's you don't so need to. easy, and and the water goes by. It took me a while to figure it out, and I thought I wasn't doing it right. But you fill it up with water over the little funnel at the bottom, and a sort of capillary action drains the water all the way through the levels. And um, it's so much easier than using a, a, a jar. And once I warmed them up, a few days they're growing and they're eating. Right. Yeah, it doesn't take long at all. Now, sprouts themselves are a superfood. So uh, when you sprout, you've got a really good food supplement there. In just a moment, I'm trying to get rid of this telephone thing. You've got so much business happening there, Wally. You you you, you don't know whether you're Arthur or Martha. Now, yeah, true. Now, uh, well, can... we can't say that anymore, I guess, because you you could be Martha going to Arthur. Oh, yeah, you're confusing everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you can make them into super sprouts by adding minerals into the water. Ah. Now, 
I don't know if you've got our product, Magic Botanic Liquid. I'm going to get some straight after right. the show. I'll be on okay. your line. Right. Now, Magic Botanic Liquid is basically humate and fulvic acid. It's mineral rich from prehistoric times, and I liken to call it at times um, prehistoric compost tea. Um, it's black, it's full of minerals, and when you use that in your garden, plants will grow basically twice as fast, twice as big, right, by spraying it on the foliage on a regular basis. Now, when it comes to sprouting seed, it helps the germ get established much, much faster. So if you'd had that, you probably wouldn't have had to put the hot water oh, in really? the base kernel because I, I had one guy, he rang me up one time and he says, I use your black magic stuff on my pumpkin seeds, and next day they were sprouted. It was wow. that fast. What's it called, Wally? Magic Botanic Liquid, or we refer to it as MBL. Got it. Right. And and so how do I use it with my sprouts? Okay, so you put about 10 mils into a litre of water mm -hmm. and on the top tier um, you would put that in, water and that together, and as a result of that um, it would go through and as the seeds are germinating and growing, they would take up all that goodness out of the magic botanic liquid. And as a result of that, you've got super mineral-rich sprouts, which are going to be that much better for your health. Mm. Well, well, I'll get that. I'll be on the on the phone ordering that, Wally. Now, how do I apply that and when do I apply that to the garden plants? Um Basically, at the beginning, when you've got some foliage, uh, like you've germinated seeds, but even going back to the seed stage, you put your seeds down in a seed tray or in the garden and you spray them with the magic botanic liquid. Right? Mm. That will get them to sprout quicker, sooner. Right. Mm. Once the foliage is up, then you can make up the MBL into a trigger sprayer, have it handy, it keeps, it doesn't go off. It's already a couple million years old, so it's good for another million years or two. It's dinosaur poo. And you just go and spray the foliage, say, once a week or once a fortnight. Wow. Um, now, it's incredible the difference it makes. There was a chap in Auckland who loved growing roses, and he was telling me um, how in Auckland it's difficult because of the uh, climate. Uh, humid and also the temperatures compared to down your way mm -hmm. growing roses are far far easier to grow and get better results so in Auckland by the time it gets to around about January February the plants are often covered in disease rust black spot um, very little flowering no buds to come etc that, that's normal He's, he told me that he used the MBL at the beginning of the season. Every week he sprayed the plants. He said, it is now February. He said, my roses are beautiful. He said, they don't flower, hardly any disease. And he said, now some of them have perfumes they never had before. Right? My goodness. He said, my next-door neighbour's roses, and he's a keen rose grower, he said, they're finished for the season. They're shocking, right? And that's the difference. The following year, he actually rang me up and said, um, great news, I I've won the gardening competition for the street. <laughs> I use it on all my garden, you know. Mm. The following year, he rang me up and he says, oh, my God, he says, they won't let me in the garden competition anymore. My garden's too good. <laughs> you're a great, you're a great advocate. I'm getting some of that. Um, by the way, I'm boiling a big stock pot. We we've got chlorine in our water now, and I'm boiling a big stock pot of water for 15 minutes on the stove, and then pouring it out overnight and letting all the chlorine waft off it. 
and that's what we're drinking and that's what we're using on my sprouts and um so we're keeping the chlorine out of our systems wally right actually this water thing um the fluoride um Mm -hmm. that they want to put into our water supply i just read recently a peer-reviewed study from the united states that proved conclusively it dumbs down children uh, the IQ uh, reduced down significantly as a result of having fluoride in their toothpaste and in their water supply, right? Wow. Because they're hell-bent on doing this, aren't they? Yeah, they want to dumb us down. That's that's the key. Mm. They, well, they don't worked on me. Brilliant people <laughs> in the world who can criticise. So, um and the other aspect, of course, is we don't know these days what's coming out of the sky. No. So what I've done in my particular case is I bought a little distiller from overseas, um, and, in fact, I bought several of them, and I've got them on sale on my website, um, $300. They're normally around about 450 for a brand-new one uh, I see on Trade Me. So we're selling these for $300. They do four litres at a time, and it's pure H2O. But the problem that I see and I read about is that if you drink a lot of uh, distilled water, it can actually strip minerals from your body. So after you've distilled the water, you can add the minerals back in. Now, how I do it, I, I put a bit of magic botanic liquid in. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's perfect. Well, because you had you look. I'm looking at you now, and you've greened up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I think you're an inch taller. There's you know, preparation. Yeah. Do you do it ten mil a liter? Sorry. For drinking, do you put ten mil in the liter or a bit less? Um, just enough to colour it up. So we're putting probably about five or ten mils in. It's not very much. It just changes it from clear to just slightly discoloured. Um, you could put more in. It, okay. it's, it's not going to hurt you because there are human preparations of magic botanic liquid under a different name, humated fulvic acid, but they're very expensive. Mm. In fact, I had a lady once. She used to come to my garden, uh, not garden centre, but my warehouse in Palmerston, and she'd buy five litres of MBL at a time. Right. And one day when she was getting this, she said, I don't use it in my garden. I said, What? What do you do with it? She said, I give it to my horses. I said, Really? Yeah. And then she told me this story about this horse she rescued, which was really crook. And the vet said, Look, you're wasting your time. Put it down. It's the best thing to do. She said, No, no, I'll see what I can do. She said, I gave it the MBL on a regular basis, along with, you know, good food, etc. She said it took six months, but I'm riding that horse now. My goodness. Brought it back from the dead. My goodness. Oh, wow. Um, and tell me two things. How much does your MBL cost? Is it expensive? No, no, it's not expensive. Um, bear with me a second, I'll tell you. Okay. Because if we're going to be drinking this and pouring it on our plants we want to know what it's going to cost us 500 mils is 15 dollars currently one liter is a bit better etc okay so and that would last a while right oh yeah yeah Yeah. 10 mil a liter so a liter is going to make um oh 100 liters a liter 100 liters yeah yeah something along those Mm. you're you're good at maths no, well, I've taken too much fluoride, maybe. I'm not sure now. Um, <laughs> so I had another question. Oh, and so when you do it on your plants, on your foliage, it's 10 mil a litre also. That's the best mix yeah. in your, your thing. Now, the distiller, does it plug into the wall and mm-hmm. sort of boil the water and it gets the steam? Yeah, it creates the steam inside itself. And yeah. at the top is a fan, which is cooling it. And mm-hmm. so it just rips out into your catching container on the side. Mm-hmm. And um, hey, Presto, uh, it takes, I think, 
I've got the information there. It might be 12 hours to get four litres. So it's not fast. No. Um, it doesn't use much electricity. And once all the water's been used up, um, it turns itself off. So there's yeah. no danger of overheating. And then in the bottom of the thing, when you take the top off, there'll be some yuck. And really? that is what was in you... your water that you were going to really? drink. Really? Yeah. And you can clean that yuck yep, and then wash it out. Four litres. Yeah. And, what? and is it noisy? Uh, no, it's, it's fairly quiet. Um, there's a little bit of a sound, but not a lot. Mm. Um, what I do is once we've taken, because you've got this container which you catch the water in, I put a bit of MBL into that. Then I put it in the fridge. And there it is, nice, chilled, uh, beautiful water. And my partner was saying when we first started doing it and putting the magic botanic liquid in, she said, I notice a difference with my health. I, I, I feel better. And it's because she's getting minerals into her body, naturally, mm. through the water. Mm. The alternative to that, you could use something like Himalayan salt. Yeah. Say about a pinch of that or yeah. a quarter of a teaspoon of that to remineralize. Because everything's been stripped out of our food pretty much, isn't it? Like you're getting a beautiful-looking tomato, but it's not rich in the minerals and nutrients that your body necessarily needs. So True. you can be doing your best not buying packaged food and not eating out and you're cooking at home. But if your raw material, uh, your water and your um vegetables uh aren't high in these minerals or nutrients you are missing out so that's a very very good tip well i've really once you alerted me to it wally um i've become hyper aware of the smell of chlorine in our water i notice it in the morning um you turn that tap on and it's a strong whiff if i stick my nose down and before I was oblivious to it. So thank you for that. And the sprouts, um, and I hadn't realized that there's all these different sprouts that you can get. And then I went online and I found that there was like a, I can't remember the name, where I could get like a 500 grams or a kilogram of sprouts seeds so much the cheaper than just going right. into Bunnings. And so I, I've, d- I've done an order and um, I'll just be sprinkling it in, on sandwiches uh, and salads, and uh, my favourite is on omelettes. And my real favourite is just walking past and dipping my hand in and eating some sprouts because they're lovely. Right. For that tip. Now, what should we be doing in our garden? Okay. This time of the year, strawberry plants, uh, the new season strawberry plants are out in the garden centres. But I was alerted by – a garden centre person from Mitre 10 in Christchurch the other day, he emailed me and says, um, be careful, there could be a big shortage of strawberry plants this season because of the storms and Gabriel, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, some growers have lost their crops, of course, and they were the ones that were, or some of the ones that were supplying the home garden market um, with strawberry plants. Back in days gone by, you used to be able to go into a garden centre and you could uh, just get a, a bundle, well, not even a bundle. They would be loose in a tray and you'd take 12 strawberry plants and it was quite reasonable. Nowadays, we don't see much of that. Maybe some garden centres still have loose strawberry plants or in bundles. Um, nowadays, we see them already uh, growing in a punnet. Um which makes them more expensive, unfortunately. But then again, if you like strawberries, um, mm. the key is to get some planted in as soon as possible because the earlier you get them in, the sooner you get to eat strawberries. And we have a trick, and it's called a product called Microsin. Now, strawberries love Microsin, and Microsin is spelled M-Y-C-O-R-R-C-I-N, Microsin. Bit of a trick. You're going to have to spell that again. Okay. 
M-Y-C-O-R-R-C-I-N, Microsoft. Got it. Some people say Microsoft. It depends. It's phase or vase, whichever you prefer. So now what you do when you get your strawberry plants, ideally you can drench the soil after planting them with a ratio of one mil to a litre of water of microsint, right? And then into your trigger sprayer, you can put your microsint, uh, I think it's 10 mils from memory, to a litre of water. And once a week, ideally, you spray the foliage of the strawberry plants. It's a food, but mainly it's a food which feeds the microcillian fungi in the soil. Oh, which wow. increases the roots of the strawberry plants by up to 800%. Wow. Right? So that means the plants have a great feeding area, and as a result of that, they're getting more nutrients, more moisture, etc. And within a couple of days of spraying the strawberry plants, you can look at them, you can see they've changed. They've actually grown a bit, right? Now, we have proved that if you do that from the beginning of the season to the end of the season on a weekly basis with the microsin, you will increase your crop by up to 400%. My goodness. Yeah. It just makes them grow like you wouldn't believe. They'll fruit earlier, they'll fruit bigger, they'll fruit longer. I had a gardener one time, he read this that I'd written, and he said, I didn't believe it. So he said, I decided to test it. I, I planted two rows of strawberries, the same variety. One I sprayed weekly with, um, with microsin. The other I didn't. He said, you're right. He said, I got heaps of those plants that I sprayed compared to the ones that I didn't. I've still got a reasonable crop, but nothing like the crop I got off the microsin sprayed ones. See, I can't understand why you're planting strawberries now in the middle of winter when everything else you wait till spring. It's establishment. And besides that, we're coming up to the um, shortest day very shortly. So our daylight hours are going to start extending in approximately seven days' time. Yeah. So there's going to be another minute or so each day added on. And, of course, plants need the light and the, for mm. growth. Strawberries, traditionally, um, it's probably because in May is when the growers would lift the crop uh, to sell the plants uh, because at that point of time uh, we'd have uh, the autumn rains, so the ground's wet, lifting would be easy, and that's when they'd go out to the garden centres around about May, June period uh, for sale. So if you're keen on strawberries, um, get them in. Those people that have already got strawberries um, from last season in the gardens, they will be looking a bit shabby at the moment. Um, they need tidying up, uh, remove the dead leaves, etc. There may be runners uh, which have come out from the parent plant and if they're rooted in uh, to the ground, you can carefully lift them up and cut the runner off, and they are your new strawberry plants if you want to start another bed. I find a bed of strawberries is good for two to three seasons if you use the microsome. Mm. Uh, and and also you can get runners for the following season. So mm. you could be um, – and when if you planted them now – when would your strawberries be ready to eat typically? You'll probably be eating strawberries before Christmas. And how long would you be getting uh, strawberries off them for? It, it depends a little bit on variety. There's probably a dozen different varieties that you can get. And I wrote an article just recently. You might have seen it on strawberries. Mm -hmm, I did. Right. And, and I listed uh, some of the more popular varieties and it depends where in New Zealand you are as to what type of strawberry okay. does best for your area. Um, 
So anybody who wants that article, they can email me and just ask for the strawberry article and I'll flick that to them and they can work out which ones to buy themselves. So down here in uh, central Otago, would I be best to put my strawberries in my tunnel house, Wally? Um, yes, because um, commercially they're grown in glass houses, hydroponically, tunnel houses, etc. Um the advantage of your tunnel house, of course, is you're protected from the elements, mm-hmm. um, so they're not buffered by cold winds and things like that. Uh, and, yes, they will probably thrive in there. But one of the ways I used to like doing it was I'd make up a trough, wooden trough, right, using tantalised timber, but after I'd made it, or before I assembled it together, I'd paint all the tantalised trimmer with a couple of coats of acrylic paint to seal the tantalised mm-hmm. chemicals in, mm-hmm. put it together as a trough, only about, or where's my ruler? It would be about 200 wide. Yeah. That's millimetres. And a depth of about... Yeah, looking towards 200. 200, but, yeah. But, you know, your fence, your yeah. um, corrugated iron fence with this railing, yeah. I, I would actually affix it to the top rail ah. of the fence. Now, it was out of the way. It was easy to pick. In fact, the strawberries tended to grow over the side, and, and you just see them there. And because they're over the side, of the uh, trough, uh, the birds couldn't get them. Oh, because they couldn't rest? No, they couldn't. <laughs> there's nowhere to sit to eat, eat the strawberries. <laughs> you meanie. And, yeah, spray with that. Now, here's another interesting what, one. What do you plant them in? What What's the best sort of soil mix for strawberries? Um, if you can get hold of horse manure, um, that that does really well. Oh, I've got truckloads of horse manure there. I right, go. okay. And I use a compost such as uh, value compost from Bunnings. Yeah. Um, I find that's a good one. Uh, it's mushroom compost base. Yep. There's no herbicides in it. Um, and it's very reasonable price, like about $4.80 for a 40-litre bag, and, and that's my preferred one. Um, Odrins also produce a good compost, but it's dearer than that. But some of the other compost is a lot of bark, chips, and stuff like that. You put your manure in and then your compost on top. Yep, yep. And you plant into that. So the roots are going down into the manure. Yeah. And the manure can be quite fresh. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and away they go. Do you drill drainage holes in your um, trough that you're growing them in? I'm not a good carpenter, so it would be some cracks and gaps and so forth. (laughs) You'd have natural gaps. Yeah, it it wouldn't be flush, flush, right? So, But you could do, yeah, you could uh, fill some holes through it, but I found they drain quite adequately. Um, And the other story I have is a couple of years ago, a lady rang me up. And she told me, in fact, she emailed me and she showed me some pictures of the strawberry that she'd grown and they were big as apricots. They were big, really big strawberries. And then she told me she'd taken some of our um, Wally's Secret tomato food and fed them with that. And she said the results was incredible. Mm. Okay, so I thought about that and I thought, well, very good. So we formulated slightly different to the tomato food, Wally's secret strawberry food. So first of all, you could use the microsin to get a bigger crop longer. But if you want bigger berries, again, a quarter of a teaspoon every month or so to the plants uh, of our Wally's secret strawberry food. Wow, well, I'll tell you a funny thing. I was out at my um, tunnel house yesterday with my good wife, and I saw these strawberries sitting out there. And I said, oh, did you buy these strawberries? And she says, no, I got them a year ago and never planted them out. And they were just sitting in their little tubs. Um, Will they be okay? Yeah, 
no problem. She just she just had them sitting in the shed. All and, that and time. Nice green foliage. They yeah. they look okay. I thought she just bought them that day. Right. So they must have got good light. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I didn't know because you've got to appreciate, um, Wally. Up until a couple of months ago, gardening and me weren't a thing, and so okay. my wife would have been off buying strawberries, and I wouldn't have noticed. Mm, true. Um, I only thought of strawberries, you know, in a punnet in the supermarket, not something that you planted. So this is all very exciting to me. So I'll get my strawberries and I'll probably put them in my tunnel house. My tunnel house is going gangbusters. And right. I actually, it's so cold down here at the moment that I find myself hopping in my tunnel house to warm up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, good one. <laughs> You're working out and you think, oh, I'll have a spell and I've got a thermos with tea and I actually hop into the tunnel house and I've got a seat and I sit there and I just warm up and then have a spell. Um, and I'm when I get organised, I'm going to build myself a beautiful glass house and I'm going to make sure I've got room for a seat yeah, and a wee table because it's so wonderful sitting there amongst the plants. Right. Hence, like, People that can put a conservatory on yeah. the side of their house for the same reason. You yes. can grow your plants in there, tomatoes, whatever you like, and you sit in there and, and it's lovely and warm. Now, I'm a little worried about broaching this next topic because it's garlic, and <gasps> I have already planted my garlic. That's good. Well, I'm worried because now I'm going to hear how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I just Googled it and did what Google said. So tell me, now's the time to be growing garlic, yes? Yeah. Traditionally, in New Zealand, we plant garlic on the shortest day and we harvest on the longest day. So 21st of June, in go the garlic um, little um, corns and separated from the bulb, right? The, the key is to use the big, fat ones. You'll get best results. If you use the skinny little ones, right, uh, you'll get a, a bit of a result, maybe, but it won't be particularly good. So the bigger, the fatter the actual corns are, the better off you are. Garlic, um, getting the bulbs or the corns is a little bit harder because about three years ago, a dreadful disease came through New Zealand, which was rust that affected garlic, right? And then in the past, it was simple. You just shoved some cloves of garlic into the ground. You didn't have to do very much, and you ended up with a reasonable thing. If you added some food into that, um, so you fed them because they are what we call gross feeders, they love their tucker, right? So if we do that, um, you'll get a, a nice big uh, bulb and which will have lots of nice fat cloves on it. So suddenly people growing garlic were devastated. The plants round about, yeah, what time of the year would it be? Probably somewhere going into late spring. This disease would attack and the foliage would be covered in rust spores. Now, as a result of that, of course, the leaves weren't able to get all the sunlight because most of the leaves were covered in rust. And as a result of that, your um, bulb underneath never grew much at all, if at all. Right. Mm. So when they came to harvest, nothing underneath of any consequence. And we tried everything. We tried copper sprays, sulfur sprays, potassium permanganate, combination, the whole lot, and yet still this garlic rust persisted. It, it seemed immune to everything. And it was a real problem. Um, some of the commercial growers, they lost the, the whole crops completely. Um, and once again, there was a shortage of garlic, and so we started to see 
from overseas, the American garlic and the Chinese garlic coming in to the country for people to use in their cooking. Well, two seasons ago, um, I spoke to some very knowledgeable people um, from a firm in Australia called Nutritech, and the chap that actually looks after New Zealand, he suggested that we should try the cell strengthening or silicon uh, strengthening products on the garlic to see how that would go in regards to com combating and preventing the garlic rust. So the original use that we were using um, cell strengthening for was for the tomato potato psyllid, which attacks tomatoes mm -hmm and completely destroys the plants, kills the tamarillos, and you end up with the potatoes, um, either no crop of any consequence or the crop can be okay, but inside the potatoes, when you cut them open, dark rings. Now, this psyllid came into the country, oh, what, probably about, oh, it must be about eight years ago now, right? And it came through the country, and literally, with commercial potato growers like at Opiki, on the way down to um, Shannon, um, all along the road used to be potato growers. Nowadays, you go along that road and there's not one potato grower. They, they were totally decimated in regards to the psyllid because the amount of spraying they had to do was so often to get a crop out that it was ineffective. Uh, it was too costly, so they just gave up. So we found that by strengthening the plants, and, and this actually came about by a tamarillo grower up north who had paddocks full of tamarillos, no problems at all. And yet down the road, another tamarillo grower had lost his complete business, right, to the psyllid. So by checking it out, it was found that the guy that still had plants there um, was growing in silicon-rich soil. Mm. And because the plants had grown up in that condition, they, they were really tough. So the psyllid, which has a weak feeding mouth, he when he hatches out as a nymph, he can't pierce to feed. As a result of that, he starves to death immediately, right? Excuse me a moment. <coughs> Got a frog in my throat. <coughs> okay. So we decided to use... Um, cell-strengthening products on our tomatoes, potatoes, and tamarillos, and hey, presto, it worked. My bad, bad infestations of psyllids, um, which we tried using neem tree oil, chemical sprays, etc. They helped, but they didn't control because the populations, when the temperature gets into the mid-20s, the population grows is incredible. Like this, from a few to a few hundred to a few thousand to a million in a very short period of time. And of course, the problem is not only are these um, nymphs feeding on the plant, but they inject a toxin into the plant. That causes a major problem with the tomatoes, tamarillos, etc. And it basically kills the plant. So by strengthening the cells of the plant, starting off when we plant, um, we overcame the problem. And it didn't matter how many millions of adults were laying thousands and thousands of eggs, never did one become an adult. We broke the cycle. And it worked a treat. Now, interestingly enough, one of these products um, we had many years ago and we used to call it DE because it has a diatomaceous earth base to it. And some gardeners actually use it on their stone fruit trees 
in the uh, beginning of the season when the leaves are starting to emerge and when you get the curly leaf problem. And they found quite reasonable success by spraying the foliage on a regular basis with this product. Of course, what it was doing was toughening the leaves and making them less prone to catching the curly leaf disease. So on the same basis of that, we drench the soil of the garlic plants after it's sprouted and got some roots with the silicon and boron soil drench. And we do that two weeks later again. Excuse me. <clears throat> then we mix up silicon uh, super strength sprayer with a um, spreader which pushes it in to the plant. And as a result, we spray the plants about every week as they're growing. And so for two seasons now, I've had perfect garlic. Wow. No rust. And so what is it you're using? What's it called? Silicon boron mix. Is that what it's technically called? That's one thing. There's three products. There's the boron and um, silicon soil drink. Right. So harken back. We've got the silicon and boron soil drench. The reason for the boron is for the plant to take up the silica from the root system because the boron encourages it. We use that only twice because if you use boron too much in your garden, you can end up with a problem called boron toxicity. So we do that. We mix up the silicon cell strengthening spray with the super spreader and we spray the foliage on a regular basis, which is like once a week. Made up in a trigger sprayer, it keeps, so we don't have to discard. We can just use it, put it down, pick it up a week later, spray again until it's all gone. Now, in doing so, it actually makes the foliage bigger because silicon helps with the photosynthesizing. And when I used these products on tomatoes the first time when I had a, um, a real sort of problem, I was amazed. The tomato leaves were about two to three times bigger than they would be normally. Mm. And I asked them, well, why is this? And they said, because the silica helps the plant photosynthesize better and so it gets a bigger leaf because it's getting more energy from the sun, right, by having a bigger – it's like having a bigger solar panel. Mm. So, <clears throat> yeah, it solved the problem, and it solved the problem with the rust on the garlic. So you do that with your tamarillos, with your garlic, with your tomatoes. Uh, what else would you be doing that Potatoes. on? Potatoes. Potatoes. Wow. Right. So um, it sounds like, Wally, I'm going to buy myself half a dozen trigger sprays and have them well labeled and have the right mixes in and have a bit of a routine for giving my plants a spray. Right. Yes. And you'd still put your magic botanic liquid on your garlic and tomatoes as well? Yes. Yeah. It's compatible, so you put that in with the spray. Yeah. Um, Magic Botanic Liquid itself has a nice little amount of silica in it, okay. so it's an add-on. Okay. Well, and apart from needing to do that, I think I put my garlic in a nice horse manure soil mix. I planted them the correct depth. I planted them up the right way. I'm sad to say some of my – I bought – I didn't know what to do. I, I I got confused. I bought, like, garlic seeding plants. I didn't know whether I could just use the ones in the supermarket because I was worried that they had been treated not to sprout somehow. So I actually bought um, sp specific garlic seeds. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? 
Yes. Is, can you plant the ones from the that you'd normally be eating? Um, yes and no. Sometimes they do treat them so they don't sprout. <laughs> Excuse me. Which some people have found. Um, so it's better to buy the ones that will sprout. And okay. I, I would suggest not to use the Chinese garlic. Um, I've never done, and I've heard that you shouldn't, um, because it's an inferior garlic. Yeah, Chinese garlic is a uh, variety of garlic. Uh, no, it comes from China. Oh, well, and I it comes know. in those um, packs. It's quite cheap. Like you get a whole lot of bulbs in, in, a, in a pack thing ah. uh, in the supermarket. Um, I know my partner, she buys it to make um, salted peanuts. Oh, but uh, when I got the seed ones, they won't be from China, right? No, no. Okay. I, I um, By the way, there's a great garlic grower in Kingston down the uh, bottom of Lake Wakatipu. And I went out and I picked up a table saw from him six months ago that I bought on Trade Me. And he had an empty section and he was growing colossal amount of garlic. And when I was Googling about garlic, I came across his webpage and he's growing all these amazing varieties of garlic. And it's actually a very interesting crop. Mm, mm. Is that Timatai? I think it is. Yes. Yeah, because I. Uh, found them on the internet and I ordered some of all the varieties they had. They have Timato Pearl, Timato Fire, Timato Rose, and Timato Royal. Now, when I got the order from them, they didn't have the very big bulbs. Yes. In most cases, I'd already sold. So I got the smaller ones, but still good, 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 um, like there. Yeah, yeah, that's a beauty. Yeah, yeah, it's still good size, but they said that's second grade. You imagine what first grade would be like. Oh, no, he was into it, and his wife was making beautiful furniture. They had quite the – they were very ingenious. And that came from Kingston, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um, They're on the internet. Yes. Um, Whether I've got any garlic left now – I know, they um, sell out. You'd have to – Google and they'd sold out, I think. But people have a look, and you can put your order in for next year. And it's such a popular crop. Now, I also, Wally, um, maybe ill advisedly, I'm about to learn planted shallots. Right. Was that the right thing to do? Yeah, yeah. Similar to garlic, um, same sort of thing, horse manure. All all those plants are what we call heavy feeders, cross feeders. And so if you give them plenty of tucker and spray them with magic botanic liquid as they're growing through the season, you'll end up with great, great stuff. By the way, my horse manure now, and deep inside, you wouldn't know it was horse manure. It's just this rich black dirt. Oh, lovely. Um, And I've put a lot of um, straw with it, and that's breaking down, and it just looks like very, very rich soil. And my, even within six months, the soil that I've been growing in has actually become, it's gone from being very clay to being beautifully rich soil now. Right. Lovely. Um, I'm, I'm going to start preparing my ground for potatoes. So yep. my plan there, Wally, and I know not about not digging it, but because the soil is rather poor, and um, my plan is to dig two shovel depths mm-hmm. and pour in a shovel depth of uh, horse manure, right? And then put the dirt back on, so it'll be sitting high, and then sort of leave it till I'm ready to plant my potatoes. Does that sound the plan? Right. Okay. And where you are. Did you grow potatoes last season? No. Okay. So you don't know if you've got a solid problem or not. No. Right. And, and more than likely, you haven't. So okay. probably not a problem in that regard. So you could plant. But for people that do have a solid problem, what they should be doing, because solids are temperature related, once the temperature gets into the mid-20s, 
they breed like rattlesnakes. They're really bad, right? But colder temperatures or hotter temperatures, they don't breed much, right? Mm. So <clears throat> if you've had a problem last season, you should be digging a trench now and digging it a good spade depth or two spade depths, right? Taking your sprouted seed potato and putting it at the bottom of the trench. Now, what I like to do, and I advise people to do, is put about a teaspoon of gypsum, a few sheep manure pellets, and a little bit of a product called Biofos, which is natural brokenly down rock phosphate, underneath the potato, and sit that on those, and then just cover it over with soil, right? Now, because it's covered with soil and the sprouts are covered, of course, frost won't hurt. Yes. Now, as the sprouts come through the soil, then you cover again, A, to protect them from frost, and B, to make the home taller and taller and taller. So as long as the sprouts only just get to the surface and don't get two or three inches tall, this will work. In other words, as the potato grows, it will form new potatoes all the way up to the top mm -hmm. of the trench and then a new mound and it will form right up in the mound. So you end up with a big crop of potatoes. If you allow the tops to get up two or three inches above the soil before you cover, you've lost it, right? It's got to be covered pretty soon after it comes through the soil. So just to clarify, the sprout comes up and the sprout's not green. Yeah. The, the, it'll, it'll be green. green leaf. Yeah. Okay. So it's coming through in its ground. I bury it or do I leave a bit of green on top? No, you cover it. You cover just it. Cover it. Yep, they cover the whole thing. So it's not getting any photosynthesis going on. No, you're stretching it. Okay, so it'll grow towards the light. It'll come through the soil again and cover it. days, yep. and then you put some more soil over the top. Wow. And, and just to cover it. So do I let it have a little bit of sun, like you say, let it get no. two or three inches? Well, put it this way, if you're in a frost area and it's out with its foliage and you have a frost, oh, it's that'll go black. Yeah. Kill it, right? So each day or every couple of days, you're going out, checking out, yep, and you just put a bit of soil just to cover. Okay. So it's, and the soil insulates it against frost. Now, once you get to the top of your uh, trench, um, then you start to mound and mm -hmm. you keep mounding up. And then by the time... You finish your mound, you pass your frost time, and you've got a good crop of potatoes forming under the soil, right? And the temperatures still haven't got up warm enough for the solids to become a problem. And then you can harvest your potatoes before Labor Weekend or thereabouts, depending on variety, of course. Um, and you've got good crop, lots of potatoes, no solid problem. And I remember you saying, Wally, that when they're ready, cut the tops off so the solids can't get them, but leave the potatoes in the ground as storage. Mm, that's true. Because if you leave the tops on and the temperatures come right, the solids will attack, inject toxins in, and then the potatoes underneath, instead of being nice, pure, lovely potatoes, they'll have the dark rings, and the dark rings means... No, no good to eat. So I got all that. Now, in Otago, when would I plant my potatoes? Now. Really? Yeah. Oh, in well, the bottom of the trench. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'll get out there. Uh, the, after the show, I'll be making an order and I'll be heading out there and I'll be trenching up. Now, to get the potatoes, I'll just go to the supermarket, get the potatoes that I like to eat, and let them sprout. Mm. If you take them home, put them in the kitchen, um, the warm temperature in the kitchen, uh, as you know, when you buy a bag of potatoes, after a week or so, or two, um, they'll start to sprout. You keep them in daylight? No, at that point of time, 
it's not necessary. Like, like if you had a hot water cupboard, you could pop them in the hot water cupboard. Okay. The warm temperatures would get them sprouted. Now, as soon as they actually show some sprout, then they go out into the light. Okay. Because it, what we call, we green them off, okay. which means those sprouts become green and hard, not soft. Like if you leave them in the bag, in the hot water cupboard, you've got great big long sprouts, miles long, useless. Okay. And do you believe in cutting your potatoes and keeping, like, if you get two lots of eyes on a potato, you can cut it in half and get two seeds, or do you keep the whole potato? Um, if you're Scottish, you peel the potatoes, you plant the peelings, and eat the potato. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you need to do. I Isn't mean, say so if you peel potatoes, right, and the eyes um, haven't been damaged, and you throw that in the compost heap or whatever, they'll sprout, and you've got a potato. In the in the war, in the Second World War in England, um, people used to do that. That that um, peel the potatoes and plant the, the peelings. My goodness. Well, it's like everything wants to grow. You're on Reality Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We've had Wally Richards, the gardening guru. Now, he will take your phone call if you've got questions or orders to make. And his phone number is, if you've got a pencil handy, it's 0800 466 464. And you can email him at wallyjr at gardennews.com. It's Garden News with one N, not Garden News. It's gardenooze.co.nz. And um, as you'll have heard through this uh, interview, people have been calling up, wanting got questions, wanting to make orders. He's lovely to talk to. And even I've had people tell me that they've made an order with Wally and he's rung them up to check exactly what it is that they want. Um, so he's a very, very hands-on um, service agent and supplier uh you love gardening don't you wally yeah for sure you just yep. it's in and in, in your blood well you've given me so much enjoyment um just improving the soil has enriched my life and like i say uh, i've been eating these sprouts i've got i've got my garden growing and i'll be getting my potatoes in um how long does it will it take me to sprout my potatoes if i get them in a bit of a warm area um, good question. How long is a piece of string? Um, it depends, okay. uh, possibly on variety and so forth. See, with potatoes, you have some very quick maturing potatoes, which mm -hmm. only take 60 days, and swift is one variety of that, okay? And then you have what we call early crops. Now, they're not really early crops at all. It's just that it takes 90 days from the time they sprout, planted, to harvest. And then we have main crop, which is like rua is a main crop, um, and they take 120 days from sprouting, planting, to maturity. Early crops, um, when they flower, and they produce flowers on the, what's the name? It means the crop's ready. With the main crop, they actually, flowering finishes, and then you harvest the crop. Okay. And the supermarket ones don't have sprout suppressant on them? Yeah, the supermarket ones that you buy um, can sprout quite easily. Okay. Uh, there are seed potatoes, which... Um, are guaranteed not to have a virus. So the like a high health potato, mm -hmm. which is what uh, Morgan Smith Lawrence um, okay. from the South Island, they have good quality uh, seed potatoes as comparison to um, seed potatoes grown in Pukekohe, which are not such good quality okay. because the South Island, as you're probably well aware, have the best potatoes in New best Zealand. Potatoes. Yeah, that you, they're a meal. That's so they beautiful. are the best. Yeah, I have a problem because my wife's not as keen on potatoes as I am, because I grew up eating potatoes with every meal. I love potatoes, but she's sort of more of a salad lady, and I just think spuds are to die for. But um, when I'm growing them, they'll taste so nice that we'll eat more potatoes because 
I think they're a beautiful food. Mm, yeah. Particularly with lashes of butter and salt. Mm. There you go. Mash, Wally, chipped or whatever. Oh, yeah, Wally, it's so much of a pleasure uh, talking with you. I've got plenty to go on. So with our listeners, uh, please send us a text, 2057. Send me an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. Call Wally. 0800 466 464. He'll love to take your call. Wally, thank you for another lovely gardening guru. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR Reality Check Radio.